On today's episode, we're going to be talking about seven different tests that strengthen your faith on this series called The Seven Tests That Will Strengthen Your Faith. And today we're going to be talking about specifically on the test of covenant on Souls Road 2. And welcome to Souls Road 2. This is a podcast that is putting the oxygen back into the Christian life one soul at a time. And today we're going to be talking about the seven tests. These seven tests will strengthen your faith series. And it's a seven parter on, on the idea of covenant, or not covenant, but this test that God uh, uh, allows us to go through and, and to uh, work through. And today we're talking about specifically the covenant test. And so somebody once said, and this is uh, from, from one of the extra biblical books, you know, it's not inspired, but it's a wise saying, you know, kind of thing. Um, it says, child, if you come to serve the Lord, the Lord God, prepare your soul for temptation. And the word temptation there means testing, to be tested. And when I read this, I, I thought about, about this series that, that when we go through testing, uh, it, all, it all often happens when we commit to God and when we look to God and we say, Lord, I'm going to commit my life to you. That's when you get tested. If you did nothing, you wouldn't be tested. So throughout the scriptures, God's covenants are always there when you look at the Bible, because today's talk is about covenant. And in every period of salvation history, there is these covenants that happen and they reveal uh, the saving plan of God and, and how he saves Israel and how one day it would expand to the whole world. And, all, and that would be possible because all covenants ultimately are fulfilled in Jesus. And so, but first, what is, what is covenants? Uh, what, what is definition of covenant? Covenant is this, it's the word berit. And uh, I was taught to pronounce that by my rabbi friend, Rabbi Lowinger. It's not berit, but berit. And it's a sacred kinship bond between two parties ratified by swearing an oath. And that oath would often be accompanied by maybe a covenant of salt, or sometimes they would divide an animal in half between them and take one half and the other in other ways. But but I think you get the, the general point of what covenant is. So, but covenant is not the same as contract. We often say this when we do weddings, right? Uh, Scott Han uh, made, made this observation of, of a few things that covenant is does that contract doesn't do or can't do. For instance, in terms of implementation, uh, contracts are made by the exchange of promises, but covenants are sworn solemn oaths i.e. marriage. Marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. And it seems that some people, you know, some rich people can never figure that out. You know, they always have these contracts and, and uh, where they sign. But real marriage is covenant for life. But it also, covenant, when you look at how it's applied, application, right? In application, contracts are limited by terms of the exchange of property. In other words, this is yours, that's mine, that's the contract, sign here, right? But covenant involved exchange of life. I'm yours, you are mine, which, which covers a wide variety of things in life, right? When we make a covenant with God, he says, present your body a living sacrifice. But we also have the idea that motivation, the motivation behind a contract versus covenant is different. In terms of motivation, contracts are based on profit and self-interest, while covenants 
call for self-giving and loyalty and sacrificial love. That's the difference. Again, i.e. marriage, right? Um, marriage doesn't work without sacrifice. But again, I want to say that covenant uh, is different than contract in duration. Uh, contracts are tempor temporary and, uh, you know, they might say for, for as many years as this, then the contract's over. But covenant bonds are permanent, even transgenerational, where they, where they, they span across generations. So that's a snippet of what covenant is in the scriptures. But what does Abraham's covenant show us? His covenant test, because there came a time where God made a covenant with Abraham, and that covenant would someday change the world. In Genesis 17, 9, it says, God said, No, but your wife Sarah shall bear you a son, and you shall name him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offering after him. So we learn this about Abraham's, Abraham's covenant test that God's promise had to flow through the right channel. What do I mean by that? That when God promises something to us, when he says, I'm going to do this, we have to let him do it, no matter how long it takes. And sometimes we, we are tempted to fill in the blanks before God and do our part and say, okay, you know, um, you know, let me do my part so that God can get it done. But when God says, I'm going to do something, you got to let him do it. So the wrong channel here was Ishmael, because Abraham thought, well, maybe he can be my, my next in line, right? My next of kin. Uh, he had Ishmael through a servant woman and named Hagar. And, but the covenant was not to continue through, through Ishmael, but through Isaac. And Ishmael represents human effort to fill in the blanks of God's promise. And our effort to try to be innovative and say, well, let's get this done is taking too long because we have this thing, we have this problem with waiting, right? Abraham had to see, and here's number two about how Abraham's tests, what it can show us. Abraham had to see what was at stake. It's so important that he saw what was at stake here. Often when we, you know, we're Westerners here, we tend to think about things only as they affect us. And so if God doesn't bless us or doesn't do something for us, it's all about us. But we don't always take into context that maybe God is, is doing something that is affecting everybody or the world, and we're just part of it. And all nations will be blessed through Abraham. It says in Genesis 1818 and 264 and Acts 325, Galatians 38 and, uh, and 9 and uh, all these scriptures. But the point is, is that often we don't have enough vision to see beyond our own survival and beyond what is happening today and what we want now. And often when we suffer because God is testing us in covenant, we want the blessing now, we want the closure now, we want the answer now, but we, we don't have the vision big enough to know what God is saying or doing. But here's the third one of what Abraham's covenant test can show us. That true covenant requires obedience and faith. That's the big part. That's the hard part. There was a time, and uh, and it's it, Hebrew Hebrews uh, eleven eight recorded this. It says, "By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out not knowing where he was going." That that is, man, most of us, most of us, we have to know where we're going. 
we have to have a plan for tomorrow. And if we don't, then we get all stressed out, right? And and this is not a a a slight on planning and you know being a steward. We're not talking about that. But there comes a time where God says, by faith, I want you to do this. Don't worry about where you're going, how it's going to happen, or how, how I'm going to provide. Just do it. And that's what I'm talking about. This is why covenant requires faith and obedience. Because we we have a, a tendency to be creators and fillers of, of the blanks that maybe God left behind and said, well, maybe he needs to me to do this, you know. But Abraham left the familiar for the radically unknown. He left a place where he knew the language, knew the people, knew the terrain, for a place where he did not know any of it, and he had to learn new languages. And his family, he had to bring them with him. I mean, this is a big thing. But again, covenant, real covenant, when God tells you to do something, it requires faith and it requires obedience. But also, it teaches us this, Abraham's covenant test, that true covenant means the willingness to sacrifice the thing most valued. What do I mean by that? There are times in our life where maybe God wants to bring you into a greater purpose in himself or into a place of growth that you have not known. But hindering that growth is this elephant in the room that maybe has become an idol to you or to me. And maybe we hold on to this. Maybe it's an insecurity or a fear or something or maybe a, a lust or something that we like. Maybe we have lust for money or success or something. Here's the point. In Genesis 20, 22, uh, 1, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham. Again, here's the test, right? The covenant test. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. It's the equivalent of the saying, Yes, sir. And he said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. It's almost like he's rubbing it in, right? Who, who you love, your favorite son, who you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. So not only does God seem like he rubs it in, but he doesn't even tell him where he's going exactly. He says, I'll show you when you get there. Like it's not even important. So here's the point. God was asking him to sacrifice all those years of a promise, of a covenant promise he made that his, his seed would be Isaac and that the generations after Isaac would, would, would produce the promise of God, right? Eventually affecting the world because Christ would come through that seed. And then we find that Abraham, he doesn't squawk. He doesn't bite or snarl. He just does it. He just gets up and goes. He got up early and did it. And... I had a friend years ago, he was kind of a mentor, you know, and he, he would really have a great way to frame this. He would say sometimes Christians, they, they, they go through the motions with God about their commitment and I'm going to do this and I'm going to commit this to Jesus and I'm going to do all these things. And, and they act like Abraham bring the sacrifice. And it's this dramatic thing that it's like, wow, a, a tour de force, you know, of performance and uh, they should get an award for it. But when they get there, they didn't bring their knife. They just went through the motions. So my friend would say, this time you got to bring your knife. If you really mean business with God, bring your knife. Bring your knife to your greatest vision, your greatest delight, your greatest passion, if that's what God says.
Because on the other side of it, there's something that is beyond it that is greater. And somebody put it this way. I think it was Len Ravenhill. He said, a Christianity that costs nothing does nothing. But the fifth thing that I want to share that we can learn from Abraham being tested is this. God, the author of covenant, is always faithful. Hebrews 11, the famous faith chapter says, By faith, he, meaning Abraham, received the power of procreation, even though he was too old. And Sarah herself was barren because he considered him faithful who had promised. Do you see that? Abraham knows that the promiser is faithful. So that's why he obeyed. That's why he, he kept covenant. Therefore, from one person and this one, as good as dead, meaning Abraham, because his body was dead, how could he, he sire children? Descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven, and, and as, as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And that's talking about salvation when Jesus came, all the people through history who, who would become saved through Christ because of the seed of Abraham. It's all connected. It's amazing. And so this God who is faithful watches over his covenant. And there, there are scriptures like, you know, Psalm 105 and 8 that says, He is mindful of his covenant forever, of the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. God never forgets what he promises us. And that is encouraging because sometimes we, we're so in a rush to just get the closure we want right now. But we can't outcommit God. We can't out-sacrifice God. God is faithful. Let me say this, but there's a new covenant, and that covenant is Christ. And it was promised in many scriptures in the Old Testament, but specifically Jeremiah 38 says, Look, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I established with their fathers on the day I <clears throat> took their hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not remain in my covenant, and I neglected them, declares the Lord. For there is my covenant that I will establish. For this is my covenant that, that I will establish with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will surely put my laws into their, heart, in their mind, and I will write them down upon their hearts. And I will become a God for them, and they will become a people for me. He's talking about the future salvation in Christ. Of our hearts would be committed to Christ, not because they're observing an external law, but because internally God is working. He's living in them now. I mean, this is amazing stuff. And so this means that all covenants culminate in Christ. You know, God made a covenant with Adam. God made a covenant with Noah, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with Moses, and with David and, and others. And those are all great, but they have one thing in common. They all inadvertently and some directly point to Jesus. When you read the gene genealogies in, in Luke, they all point to Jesus. All these things point to Jesus. He's the culmination. They all have this thing in common. And Galatians 3.17 says, my point is this, this is Paul speaking, the law which came 400 years 430 years later, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. In other words, in the New Testament, God didn't just get rid of the law. 
but he fulfilled it in Christ because Jesus is the new covenant. Think about the Last Supper. At the Last Supper, Jesus explicitly identifies his body and his blood as the new covenant by the prophets. And fulfilling the word of Isaiah, that the, that the servant of the Lord, Isaiah said, would not simply make a covenant, but he himself would be the covenant. And this is Isaiah 42, that Jesus is the new covenant. That's why all things point to Jesus always. And I like what uh, theologian Scott Hand said. He said, indeed, Jesus' solemn declaration, this is my blood of, of, of the covenant, echoes the words of Moses while sprinkling the blood of the sacrificial animals to ratify the covenant of Mount Sinai. So the blood of Jesus replaced all of the Old Testament sacrifices. It replaced the law. And now we keep the law by abiding in Christ and the Gospels especially Matthew and Luke, show Jesus as the son, as the heir of David, and thus as the one to restore the Davidic kingdom based in covenant. So I want to encourage you today that, that you read the word of God with the eye of covenant, that God has given us as his people the idea of covenant. And he's opened, may he open our eyes as to the promises in scripture he's made for us. Because every promise God makes for us, in a way, is a covenant. And, and it is kept in Christ as we look to Him. So if you like this podcast, leave a like. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or, or, or our uh, Buzzsprout. Or we're on Apple, we're on Stitcher, uh, we're on Google, and, and a bunch of others. But, but uh, check out the website also, soul02.com. We have uh, podcasts there and some articles. So may God richly bless you today and have a great day. God bless you.